Good evening, world, and welcome to Haunting Season. This episode is part two and the riveting conclusion of The Door. If you haven't heard part one, what, what are you doing? Go back. You're missing out on the whole setup. It's just one episode back. The link's in the description. No excuses. It's not even that long. But if you have listened to that part, well, my God, look at you showing up in the right place at the right time. This is part two with special music from North Innsbruck, our pal right from the up north there in Minnesota who makes cinematic synthwave music that you can enjoy on iTunes and other places. The links are in the description. And now, without another wasted word, here's the finale of The Door. I yanked my hand towards me before my brain even registered the click, which did nothing but pull my body clumsily into the emerald door that you fell through. Twist, stupid twist, the knob, I thought, slower than I was acting. Trish and Rusty were getting up to their feet. From their angle, close to the missing station wall, they must have seen their brother fall in one side of the open door and disappear through the two-inch iron frame that held it. Jordan was still on the floor, covering her face and ears with her arms. I was at more of a 45-degree angle, so I saw your face. I saw the confusion as your ankle gave out and your knee twisted. I saw you fall on your belly and roll over on the rocky, leaf-covered forest floor at the root of a birch that split into three tall white trees. I watched the confusion turn to horror as the door began to close from the forceful gust of the final car of the train whipping by. Our eyes met as the emerald door wiped you from sight like a Star Wars scene transition. I remember my knees on the crumbling concrete station platform, scraping raw as I scrambled to my feet, trying to catch the door in time. Joey and Kellen were inside the station facing me, watching me scramble with a look of confusion on their faces. They must have missed everything. And Sean? Well, fuck Sean. He was probably halfway back through the tunnel by now, running home to his mommy, his alibi who would keep him safe, and his family of liars who would all claim that he was in his treehouse all night watching Nightmare on Elm Street 4 on his mini-TV VHS combo he got for Christmas. After slamming my face into the door, my wrist twisted and yanked it open. I swear on my life that damn door was only closed for a fraction of a second before I got it open again. It was barely even closed to begin with. But it did click. The knob had to be twisted so it was shut and that's all that mattered. Click. I don't think there even was another sound it made. Just a click. Click. No slam. In fact, the way I remember it, there wasn't even another sound at all. No train, no wind, no leaves rustling, no shriek, no crickets. Just click. 
click, and you were gone. I yanked the door open again. No birch trees, no rocky ground. Instead, there was sand, only sand and sky. Robbie! Nothing. I shut the door again and opened it. No sand. This time snow and an icy lake. What? Closed and open again. Pine trees. Closed and open again. A river. Closed and open again. A mountain. Over and over. Slam. Click. Twist. Open. I tried, but no birch trees. Never any birch trees. I slammed the door as hard as I could. It sure made a noise now. Joey and Kellen were just coming out of the station. Where, where's Robbie? Joey asked. I just stared at him. Speechless. I tried again. Twist and open. Desert. I shut the door and tried again. And again and again. Slam. Click. Twist. Open. Slam. Click. Twist. Open. Always different. But never you, Robbie. I looked to Trish and then to Rusty, our eyes doing all the talking. Where is he? I don't know. Is this real? I don't know. What do we do? I don't know. None of us knew. We sat there in shock for a while. I tried to explain to Kellen, Joey, and Jordan what had happened, but they didn't see it. So how were they supposed to believe it? Trish and Rusty were still silent. The rest of us could go home, get into bed like normal, have a good night with our parents, act shocked in the morning, but for Trish and Rusty, there was no hiding this. They were coming home, and Robbie wasn't. I was the one who came up with the plan. It was a kid's plan, so it wasn't very good, but we had to rely on our innocence and use as much truth as we could in our lie. See, we couldn't tell them about the door. No one would believe us, and we would just get in more trouble for lying, and even more trouble for playing on the train tracks. I wasn't afraid of being in trouble, but that wasn't going to solve anything. No, what we had to do here was unite in our story and stick to it at all costs. I hated not telling the truth, and that's why it hurt so bad to be the one to lie. But I did. Maybe that was wrong. But I was a kid, and kids do dumb things. What the hell else was I supposed to do? I wasn't the one who made you go through it. I was just the one who couldn't save you. Didn't save you. The plan I came up with shook out like this. We waited at the station until 9.30, when we normally would be finishing the game. We went through the tunnel together, and as soon as everyone was on the other side, we worked our way up the gully until we could see my house. As soon as it was in sight, we split off into two groups. I sent Trish, Rusty, and Jordan to the left, away from your house, and then me, Joey, and Kellen went back through the woods behind your house. I had us all calling your name like you were lost. That way your parents would find us first, and we could do the explaining. I didn't want Trish and Rusty to have to do that. I told them that we were playing Tin Can Alley, and that you were in the group hiding in the woods, and we played for like an hour, and when we won, we all looked around and you were gone. I said we thought maybe you were peeing in the woods somewhere, and then we thought you were hiding to scare us, and then we started looking for you, and that's it. That was the whole story. I told them Sean ran off when he found out. We thought he was going to go get help, 
and then the rest of us split up and started looking for you. Your mom started to panic. Your dad wanted to know where his other kids were, so I told him and he went running. The adults formed a search party. Even Sean's parents showed up, who claimed they heard the ruckus but didn't know what was happening. Sean had said nothing. The search went on for days, to no avail. Local news, police, photographers, our quiet little neighborhood loop was turning into a busy street. All kids were grounded, not because we were in trouble, but because the parents collectively believed there could be a kidnapper on the loose. Time went by, and things died down. For most of us. Your parents spent the next year full of hope as the town swept the tracks for body parts, searched caves and tunnels for faint sounds of a trapped boy. Nothing, of course. We didn't know if you were even on the same planet. How were a bunch of dumb adults going to find you? But still we said nothing. In fact, Rusty said nothing at all for a full year. Maybe even longer, I don't know, because they moved away after that. I never saw Trish and Rusty again. The rest of the neighborhood kids were never allowed out again on mischief night. But eventually, over time, we were allowed to play in the woods again. I think it was July the following year when Joey, Kellen, and I finally made it back down to the old station. It felt like a lifetime had gone by. I was 12, going on 13. We were moving to a new town. But I had to go back. I had to see if the door would open. Maybe. Just maybe. You would be standing there waiting for us. But you weren't. And you weren't the night after that. Or the night after that. Or any night before we shipped off to my new house and my new neighborhood. Hours away and a whole state over. We moved in August so I could be there in time for sixth grade. And after a few months of having no friends and struggling with the middle school curriculum, I found myself wide awake the night before Halloween. I know I was awake because my parents were watching Austin Powers downstairs with some friends and I could hear everything. I know I wasn't sleeping because there was no break in reality, there was no moment of slipping away. I heard a noise laying there in my bed. Click. Just outside my window. It was raining, the first big thunderstorm of the fall. But the thunder had died down and it was calmer outside. But this wasn't just rain on the window. It was like little clicks. Rocks? Gravel being tossed at the window. Click. Click. I got out of bed and opened the curtains and there you were. Soaked to the bone, covered in mud, red clay mud, standing in my backyard, just on the edge of the woods. I screamed for you. I ran down the stairs, through the TV room with the adults and their wine and popcorn and the raunchy comedy on the TV. I threw open the screen door and I ran outside in my PJs. You were gone. I kept running to the edge of the trees, screaming your name. My dad grabbed me from behind as I kicked and screamed in the rain. There's nothing there, bud. He's not there. He's gone, bud. You have to let go. And I tried, Robbie. I tried for years to let go. But every mischief night, I saw you. And then I started seeing you more. I'd see you across the street or out the window of the bus. 
I'd catch you behind me in a reflection and most often on the inside of my eyelids when I tried to sleep. The more I saw you, the worse I did in school. In high school, I was living more in video games than in real life. Tony Hawk, Mario 64, GoldenEye, Star Fox, you name it, I have it. I have N64, PlayStation 2, Xbox, Sega Genesis, Original Nintendo, Game Boy, Atari, I have everything. Because the more complex the games get, the more I get lost in a world where you never existed. My parents put me through therapy. But you see, the thing is, Robbie, therapy doesn't work if you don't tell the truth. And how could I? Yes, my friend went through a mystical door that changes every time you open it. Well, on that night, Doctor, you see, every other time I've been there, it was just a door that did nothing. But I know it happened because a bunch of other kids I'm no longer in contact with and honestly don't even remember their last names were there to see it, too. And off I'd go, to the loony bin, with a bottle of pills in each hand, never to see the light of day again. And in there, I wouldn't have my games to get lost in. I'd just have myself, and my guilt, and my headaches, and my tantrums. And you. I'd die. I'd die if I actually had to face myself. But see, that's all about to be over now. See, it's been seven years, and I'm 18. My parents can't keep me home anymore, so I left. I'm 18, and if I'd been able to focus, I'd be going to college right now. I'd be a freshman in a dorm like everyone else. But Robbie, all I can do is think of you. I can't play video games forever. I can't escape this, Robbie, because you won't let me forget. So that's why I'm here, in the old neighborhood behind the houses. You know, that tunnel was really hard to get through fully grown. We're not 11 anymore, man. My knees and hands are all scraped up, but I made it through, Robbie. And I'm here. I've got my sleeping bag and some food, and I'm going to stay here every night, opening and closing this door until I see the dead brown leaves and the rocky ground. Until I see that trunk that splits into three tall birch trees. And then, Robbie... I'm coming for you. Haunting Season was created by me, Joshua Sterling Bragg. Produced by Greg Holdsman and Jessica Richmond. And executive produced by Matt Gielen, Patrick James Lynch, and Ryan Gielen and is a joint production of Believe Limited and Mac Elin. This episode was hosted by me, Cody Dugan. Written by Joshua Sterling Bragg, with literary help from Mel Forrest. Edited by Colby Crow and select music in this episode, including this final track, was made by North Innsbruck. Links are in the description. If you like our show, please subscribe on your favorite platform. Full episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. This structure of today's story was inspired by the short stories of Kathy Koja, our guest from this month's flagship episode. Totally, totally worth checking out. Anyway, next week we'll go back in time and listen to Haunting Season's first story, and then we'll talk about it afterwards. It's the Archive Show, Episode 4 of Haunting Season. Enjoy your night, and don't go through any weird-looking doors. Sheesh! <laughs>